0: Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tolman. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Go to Matthew chapter six, if you would. Matthew chapter six. We're going to begin a series that will last about two months on stewardship over this month and next. Also, tonight we're going to be getting a series on the life of David. How many of you have ever studied David's life in any kind of depth at all? And so there are some who have and many of you have not. You want to be here tonight. We'll start that series tonight. Uh, very practical. Of course, uh, uh, we have we we have all of our children with us on Sunday nights. It's a great teaching opportunity if you have young children. Uh, can be trying. I will tell you that when you have young children. But it also, it's a great opportunity to lead and train your children up in the way that they should go. So, I encourage you to be back tonight, six o'clock. And we'll jump into that series in the life of David. I got to tell you, I'm excited about that. You have some stories about David's life, like Goliath, right? David and Goliath. Most of us have heard that story. There might be some who have not. Uh, But then there's going to be other stories about David's life that we haven't really even ever heard of. Some of us have never heard of them. And uh, in all of these stories, it really helps us to understand ourselves better. And even more importantly than that, understand who God is and how he works in the affairs of men. So there will be times of conviction during our study, and there will also be uh, times of rejoicing and hope and faith we birthed out of our study on David on Sunday night. So make sure you're back for it. Pastor Toman, thank you for that song. He ended with the statement, God is all you need. And I really think in Matthew chapter 6, this is something, that truth is, was something that the Lord Jesus Christ was trying to communicate to his disciples, to his apostles. Um, he'd been teaching them on the matter of prayer, and uh, he's addressing them, and they had hearts that were listening. They had asked him questions. He was responding to them, these men who had hearts with with uh, ears to hear, they wanted to know the truth, and he begins or he continues by teaching them on the matter of possessions. He, he actually goes to what they possess. He talks to them about their treasures and what they treasure, and uh, that where their treasure is, that's where their heart will be as well. And uh, he's talking to men who he had told that they would suffer and that uh, they would be hated the same way that he was hated, and. Uh, and so he's talking to them about trusting him. And really, he's telling them, those that were closest to him, uh, what loving the Lord Jesus Christ really looked like. And I speak to many this morning who are born again. You say that you know the Lord is your personal Savior. I would ask you, do you do you love the Lord? And uh, many of us here would say, yes, Pastor Ferguson, I love the Lord. And why do we love him? We love him because he first loved us. And uh, these men to whom Christ was speaking, uh, their love needed to grow. Their faith in him needed to grow. And uh, so look with me, if you would, at Matthew chapter six, a wonderful passage. I'll begin reading in verse number 19, Matthew six, verse 19. I'll read down through verse 34, uh, beginning though, first of all, in verse number 19. Jesus is speaking, he says, to his apostles, to his disciples, those who were followers of him, he says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, and the word single there means generous, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, and the word evil has the idea of stingy or grudging, disease, sickly. If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate, loathe the one, and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise or ignore the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon, which is another word for wealth or the getting of wealth. Therefore, Jesus says, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which is today, or today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. They are consumed with it. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Let's pray. And then I want to look at this passage with you about... Um, the truth that God is all that we need. God is all that we need. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? And are we living like that? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would teach us by your word this morning. Lord, I pray for conviction. I pray that you'd rebuke us where we need to be rebuked. Uh, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work mightily in the hearts of each person here. Lord, I am reminded that he... Like a dove will not force his way upon a person Um, So lord, I pray for receptive hearts Good soil that the word of god the seed of the word of god would find good ground In which to germinate and grow and blossom and produce Wonderful fruit in the years to come in the hearts of these who are in this room Father speak now. I pray by your power and I ask these things in christ's name. Amen Now What do you believe about possessions? A man once told me that a pastor should never talk about money um, or preach about it. Um, But what do you believe about possessions? Because our wealth is more than money. Wouldn't you agree? Who gave possessions to us? Who gave the stuff that we have to us? Who gave that to us? Did we... Did we get it ourselves? And, and do the possessions that we have belong to us? I would ask you that. Do you own, do you own the, those possessions? Or are you a steward of those possessions? And what should we do with the things that we have? What, what does God say about finances? What does he say about money? I do think that our bank statements probably are more revealing about what we believe about these questions that I just asked than than anything else in our lives. They, The statements, our bank statements, reveal to us our priorities. What is important to us? It reveals to us if we trust the Lord or not to differing degrees. So what does God say about money uh, in it's interesting, Jesus said a lot about it. He talked a lot about it. In fact, 16 out of 38 parables were concerned with how to handle possessions and finances. 16 out of 38. Jesus Christ said more about money than almost any other subject. The Bible offers around 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 verses about faith, but more than 2,350 verses about possessions and finances. Isn't that interesting? Jesus taught about possessions not because he needs our stuff, not because he needs our money, but because he wants our hearts. And the simple truth in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 6, and you see it there, as Jesus spoke it, he said, for where your treasure is, there." Will your heart be also where your treasure is, is where your heart is. See, the Lord's not needing our stuff, but he wants our hearts and where our treasure is. That is where we find our hearts to be. So where's where is your treasure? Uh, I think as we look at this passage, one thing that strikes strikes me is is Jesus was trying to drive home to his disciples that they didn't need to worry or be anxious or be concerned about food or clothing or water, basic necessities of life, frankly. And he's driving home the point that God is going to take care of you. God is going to take care of you. Can Do you trust him to take care of you? Or do you find yourself worrying and anxious and Concerned about what's going to happen, you don't have to read very much in the news uh, world um, to read headlines about things that are possibly catastrophic in our in our world today, right? You don't have to read very. um, Being prepared, there's wisdom to that. The Bible talks about, "Go to the ant, thou sluggard; consider her her ways, and be wise." Right. So there is a preparing that takes place, and. And, 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 and there there is a proper place for saving and all those sorts of things, but Jesus, as we begin this series on stewardship, he really is driving home the point that is I think at the bedrock of stewardship, and that is this: God loves you, and God is going to take care of you. God loves you and he's going to take care of you and I, I want to notice that uh, we will know that God is all we need when we first of all have a proper Treasury. We have a proper treasury, number one. Look at verse number 19. I'm going to read down through verse 21. He says this, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. What is your heart beat? What, what is it that drives you? What is it that you love? <clears throat> Do you love what God loves? Do I love what God loves? Is my heart in tune with God's heart? And, and Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples, he says, where your treasure is, there That's where your heart is. And I could ask you this morning and I do. Where is your heart? And if you want to know where your heart is, look at where your treasure is and you'll see where your heart is. Is your heart in tune with God's heart? Where do you put your deposits? Where do you invest? Where do you put your money And the simple principle stated in verse 19 is treasure not up for yourselves treasure. You see it in verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. Why not? Well, he tells us at the end of verse 19, the middle of verse 19, um, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. So treasure not up for yourselves treasure. The word treasure means to lay aside or to store or to hoard or to keep. It actually means to stack up, to pile it up. And what is the Lord Jesus Christ saying? He's not forbidding us from earning money. He's not telling us not to save money. He's forbidding us from storing money to be wasted on self-indulgence. He's warning us, don't store things up just for self-indulgence. Don't store things up because you don't trust the Lord. Don't store things up Uh, because it reveals where your heart is. And that's the whole issue here. When When we view our lives primarily for the purpose of gaining stuff to be stored and then spent for our own indulgence, we have a wrong perspective on life. John Wesley wrote this. He said, quote, I have three great principles when it comes to money. Principle number one, earn as much as you can. Principle number two, Save as much as you can in order that you may, principle number three, give to God as much as you can. It is never a question of how much you have. It's always a question of how of what you're going to do with what you have. That's what reveals our heart. It's not sin to earn money. It's not sin to save money. The book of Proverbs tells us to save money. The issue here is the accumulation of wealth with little or no concern for the cause of God. It's living for this world, which is very temporal. James describes our lives as a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. It's called materialism. The Lord never condemns the possession of money. Interestingly, in the Bible, he never condemns the possession of money. Deuteronomy chapter 8 tells us that it is it is God that gives us the power to obtain wealth. It is God who has made men wealthy and made other men to be poor. In first Timothy, chapter six, the Bible talks about uh, him giving us all things richly to enjoy. OK, so if God has blessed you financially, if he has blessed you with a measure of wealth or possessions, There is a desire on God's God's part for you to enjoy what he's given to us. It was rich Abraham who was called uh, by God the friend of God. It was God who made Job wealthier than he had ever been before. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 teaches us to provide wealth for our families. The sin comes when we misuse that which God has entrusted into our care. If we invested in the kingdom of heaven, we've made the right choice. And so in verse 20, look what he says. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So don't, he says in verse 19, lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Don't stockpile treasure on earth. You can't take the treasure that you stockpile on earth with you. I have watched people who were good stewards with possessions and were very wealthy, leave possessions to their children who could not handle those possessions and destroyed them, uh, wasted them, squandered them. I would ask you, is that a good investment? Is that good stewardship by parents to leave wealth to children who will use it for fleshly purposes? Yes or no? It's not. So if we invest in the kingdom of heaven, we've made the right choice. So look again at verse nineteen: Lay up for yourselves treasures. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. He tells us why. Then verse twenty: Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So it's possible, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, for us to send treasure on ahead. Do you do you agree with the Lord on that? So then I would ask us the question, are we doing that? And many, many are. You use what you have for the Lord. Uh, you use it with hosp- hospitality, in, in ways of hospitality. Or maybe you use it, uh, maybe you use it uh, to, to give to missions, to further the gospel. Or maybe taking the gospel yourself to others. Or, or maybe you use it to be an encouragement, a blessing to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, you use you invest in the Lord's work. He says, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. So he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, how can I be giving money to God, investing in eternity and have it reap dividends for me? It's interesting. That's what the Lord says. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And when we lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, those treasures will remain here. When we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, they'll be there to greet us when we arrive. In Luke 16, and verse 9, the Bible says this, And I say unto you, make, Jesus speaking, make yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. It's a very unusual statement. Christ is saying, take your money which is basically uh, amoral or non-righteous, it's neither righteous nor unrighteous, and use it to make yourselves friends. And the best understanding of that particular passage is simply this, invest your money in the souls of men and women who will someday greet you in heaven with thanksgiving when you arrive. You see, here's the principle in short, what we keep for ourselves, we lose. And what we give to the Lord and we use for the Lord, we retain for all of eternity. That is the simple principle. Colossians 3 and verse 2 says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And so if we lay up treasure on earth, we're going to regret it. In ancient Israel, and as Jesus is speaking to these disciples, he's talking about, um, in verse number 19, he's talking about their treasures uh, things that moth and rust can corrupt, and where thieves can break through and steal. There were three primary treasures or things of value within Israel and ancient Israel, and one was garments. Uh, and moths could could eat those away. So you could have all of these costly garments, and you could try to store them and protect them, and 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 then ah oh, the moths maybe or something would come in and and, and destroy them. Uh, grain your crops so coming out of your fields were grains and crops and and he's saying that rust uh, uh rot um rats can destroy your crops they can just dis- absolutely destroy you can store it all up but 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 it can be destroyed you can lose it all and then um there was material wealth uh, like gold and silver and precious stones and those sort of things there was that kind of wealth. And he talks about thieves, thieves, breakthrough and steal. And there's no way, uh, maybe maybe you're here this morning, you'd say there's no way that any of, I can lose out on any of that. Pastor Ferguson, I have mothballs and um, and I've got rat traps and uh, Pastor Ferguson, I've got um, I've got uh, I've got cameras all over my house and nobody can possibly get in to steal my wealth. And uh, <laughs> but but look at look at verse number uh, 21 19 again he says, uh, "Don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, why because moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also Again, this is not Jesus is not talking about the best way to avoid moths or the best, best way to avoid rust or rot and decay in your garments uh, or your your grain bins. He's not talking about the best way to, to retain your silver and gold and keep thieves away so you can stay wealthy in this world. He's saying you need to you disciples, you followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to uh, not be consumed with materialism. And he's saying to these disciples, he's saying, I want your hearts. I want your hearts. What Jesus is really saying to them is, I love you. You're going to know how much I love you, but I want you to love me. And where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. Where your treasure is, is where your love is. It's what you love. It's what you live for. And, and again, I say to you, it's very possible and, and no one here should say, wow, I know somebody and they have a nice car. They must not love God that that we're missing the mark. If we walk away from here thinking, if someone has wealth, they don't love God. It is covetous, by the way. And I can remember years ago, um, a particular man in the Genesee County area, he was not a part of the Trinity Baptist Church. But he came by the the, uh, property one day, and he basically said, we need to go down to Detroit. And this this is almost a quote. We need to pull the executives out of their offices. We need to take their wealth from them and give it to everybody else. And he was against the 1%. You might remember that mantra from, from maybe eight years ago or something like that. The 1%. And he accused the 1%, the wealthy, of being covetous and greedy and I remember, and he, he seemed to be kind of a violent man to me, actually. Um, and so with some uh, care, I said, now, now, uh, I'm just going to repeat to you what you said. You want to go down and physically remove them out of their offices and take what they have. That's stealing. You want what they have. And I said, now, I'm not trying to offend you here. But that's covetousness and greed and give it to everybody else. Yeah. So just because someone has wealth, that's been given to them by God. okay? We shouldn't look at someone who has wealth and say they don't love God. But I ask all of us to have a different different measures of wealth, different amounts of wealth. and I ask every one of us in this room, where our hearts are at, do our hearts with the Lord. Do we love God or do we love our, 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 our materialism, our things? So number one, we have to have a proper treasury. Look at verse number, or, or, or verse number 22. Secondly, we must also have a proper vision. If we're going to know that God is all that we need, if we're going to experience his love in our lives the way he wants to show it to us, If we're going to trust him as God desires for us to trust him, we need to have a proper treasury, number one. Number two, we need to have a proper vision. Look at verse 22. He says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, the a couple of things here in those verses, and we might look at that and go, well, what does that have to do with trusting the Lord? What does that have to do with being a disciple and following Christ? What does that have to do with my heart and my treasure and having a heart for the Lord or having a heart for worldly things and material things and not having a heart for the Lord, what, what does this have to do with anything? Well, he's talking about having a proper vision. And just as our eyes, our physical eyes, affect our physical perception, so too, where we fix our hearts determines our spiritual perception. A young person who is in love with this world and the things of this world, in this world, maybe being popular or cool or having stuff. And that's what, they, that's what they, they're they focused on. That's what they want. That's what they long for. Um, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to make a lot of money. I want to have this kind of a house. I'm going to have these vehicles. That's their, that's their goal. That young person is going to also suffer from spiritual blindness. That's what he's saying. And it's not just for young people. It's for adults as well. When we are consumed with materialism, uh, we lose our spiritual perception. We can't see. We, we can't see. Uh, so seeing uh, seeing eye floods the body with light. The heart that is set on godly things is lighted. It is, it is lit with spiritual sight. Blind eyes bring darkness. An earthly perspective on earth. Earth, An and earthly vision that is selfish and indulgent plunges one into spiritual darkness. And the point is this. If our focus is continually on money and on accumulating things and on materialism and on self-indulgence, maybe even on our own comforts and our own successes, we will be blind to spiritual realities. Like there's a heaven. Like there's more to life than living for the now. See, and I think we can understand this. This is not too far off from what we go through on a a weekly basis. Do I want to please the Lord? Do I want to do what he says? Or do I want to do what feels good to me? Do I want to do what I want to do right now? Um, Do I want to trust the Lord? Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. Where your treasure is that do I believe the Lord? Are these words of the Lord Jesus Christ foreign to me? Are they offensive to me or do I hear them and say that's true? That is completely true. You see, when we don't have a proper vision, um, it's because our treasure is in the wrong place. We're not treasuring spiritual things. We're treasuring earthly things. In verse 23, the latter part, it states that this is a severe darkness. Greedy people become blind to spiritual realities. They can't see spiritual truth. They can't see the joy of spiritual investment. Their focus is really on the wrong things, and therefore they become blind. This morning, I was on the way to the, the church building to meet with the pastors, and one of my children was riding with me. And, uh, and uh, they said, I'm not sure if, they, they said they weren't sure if their coat, their jacket went with their outfit. And uh, I pulled a dad thing, okay? And I said, well, when I was a boy, okay, okay. So when I was a boy, and, you know, I mean, we didn't have, don't we have, isn't it amazing the access we have to clothing now? I mean, our children, our, our little children, you know, I don't know what the popular baby clothing is now, but Oshkosh, you know, was that was expensive, you know, but Things being made in certain parts of the world have made things we can all look like we're very wealthy, even though we may not have paid a lot of money for what we are wearing. But it looks wealthy. We all can wear these things that have that have this appearance of wealth. Um, You know, as a parent, I have a desire. I want to give to my children the very best. I want them to have the best of everything. I want them to be designer this. School that and all these things, you know, this kind of bicycle, or maybe a vehicle, this kind of a vehicle, things like that. But there's a danger to training our children up to be in love with materialism. There's a danger. This is the culture of our world. If you're gonna stay up with the Joneses, then you need to wear these things, you need to have this, you need to drive that, you need to have those kind of sunglasses, you need to have a status symbol, and and there's a whole world that's caught up in this idolatry of self, self self-worship, that self-exaltation, that I'm going to have all these things, and that puts me on the top of the heap. And as a parent, and and I think I've seen this from generation to generation, I I see parents who, you know, when I was a boy, so I want you to have more than I had. And then the next generation says, well, when I was a boy, but I want you to have more than I had. And this just keeps going. It just keeps getting more and more. And and, and the the danger is this, that Jesus is talking about this in this particular passage. He's saying, if you're in love with material things, if you don't have a generosity towards spiritual things, if you're not investing in eternity, why would we do that? We'd only do that if we believe it's worth investing in. If I have a love for, for material things, it actually causes spiritual blindness. So for all of us parents here this morning and we say, you know what, boy, Johnny looks so cute in those Air Jordans, man. He's just so cute. You know, And they're how much did you pay? They're like one hundred and thirty dollars. You know, he can't put them on his feet. He can't tie his shoes. I think I might have broke his ankle while I was stuffing it onto his feet you know, as a baby. But but boy, look at him. He can't even walk. Look at him in his car seat. But those are an amazing pair of shoes. And you know what? There's a part of it that, that's so cool. And grandparents, you can get caught up in this as well. But I'm telling you, based upon this, these two verses that Jesus is, is, these words that he's giving to us, a love for materialism causes spiritual blindness. Don't expect your grandchildren or your children to have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ and be willing to forsake all and follow him Don't expect them to have a love for the word of God. Don't expect them to sit and to hear the word of God and be amazed by the word of God and love the word of God. When we have trained our children to value material things, there's a danger. So now don't go home and you and your wife go up into your child's room and start hauling stuff out, you know, and make them wear burlap sacks and look (laughs) poor. That's not what I'm saying but be careful not to lead your children to love material things by the way not all of us have a tendency to love i should say it this way we have a tendency to love different material things <clears throat> one person it's clothes i mean it's all about clothes another person it's all about food uh, uh the person the one person it's all one person it's all about clothes and the other person you know uh they don't care they'll walk around with holes in their shoes they don't care their toes sticking out they just don't care at all you know and the other person's like i can't believe you'd wear that out in public but for for the, that individual it's not about clothes to them so their materialism's going to be somewhere else okay that they're that they're after look again at verse number 23 and verse 22 he says, the light of the body is the eye, if thine, if therefore thine eye be single. And that word single means generous. Thy whole body shall be full of light. Now, these are not my words. <clears throat> are you a generous person? Are you a giving person? Jesus says there's a connection, a supernatural connection between your your generosity, your giving... By the way, that's a that's a godly characteristic. He gave His Son for us. He wasn't stingy. He didn't hold back. What about us? Are we followers of the Lord? Are we followers of Christ? Are we giving or are we holding back? He says if you're holding back, if you're stingy in your giving it's going to cause spiritual blindness. Why would we hold back? Because we're in love with material things. Because we want to buy more things for us. Myself, I want, I want this, I want that. I don't have anything to give because I'm too busy giving to myself. And when we're too busy giving to ourselves, it causes spiritual blindness. Look at the next verse, in verse 23. But if thine eye be evil, so you have generous, single means generous, and then but if thine eye be evil, grudging, stingy, Thy whole body shall be full of darkness. And then again at the end of verse 23, it says, If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? i got to tell you, this is a concern for me as a parent, as a dad. And maybe some of you in this room, you have children, and they're not walking with the Lord, and there's spiritual darkness. They do not. You can talk to them about spiritual things, and they're like, Oh, yeah. yeah, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. It's nice talking to you. Yeah, yeah. okay. You know, lay up it, lay it for yourselves treasures in heaven. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to live for today. The spiritual darkness is great. They cannot see. They cannot see. And, and to such a degree, in some cases, that they are on their way to hell for all of eternity. They cannot see the light. They cannot see the light. So Jesus, as he's talking to his his apostles and these disciples, he's saying, you're going to know that God is all that you need as you have a proper treasury, as you have a proper vision. And then thirdly, as we have a proper allegiance, as we have a proper allegiance. Look at verse 24. He says, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, he'll loathe the one, and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise, ignore the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. So this too we see in our society. This too we've seen in our own lives maybe. Maybe loathing God. Or doesn't seem quite as bad as loathing him, but ignoring Ignoring him. Uh, I know the Bible, I've heard that too, but that's not where we're at right now. So we can't do that, you know. And and Jesus is saying you need to have a proper allegiance. He's saying be loyal to the Lord. We can't serve God and serve stuff at the same time. It's impossible. To love money eliminates a love for God. To love things eliminates the love for God. You can't serve both. You can't love both. On the other hand, to love the Lord our God with our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength is to set aside the love of things. And this is this is why when we talk about, we don't often talk about it, hardly ever, but when many of you came today... Or you you do, you faithfully give, you set aside a tenth, or sometimes more, and you give to the work of God, or you give to to missions, or maybe you give to someone who's in need. You see a need and you meet a need. And to do that, it cost you something. You couldn't buy something else that you wanted. You couldn't buy that car, you couldn't buy that, you couldn't buy that new trailer, you couldn't You decided not to move. You decided not to upgrade your house or not to renovate something so you could give. And the world would look at you and say, what are you doing? Live for today. Get all that you can get today. Live for today. Live for yourself. But it really is an exercise in faith. And so Jesus is saying, you, you need to have a proper allegiance. Do you love God or do you love possessions? And that is the question. No one here should feel guilty, and that's not my goal. I don't want anybody here going, oh, no, did he see what I bought? Oh, no, I, I knew I, he saw the ring on my finger. When I, no, no, I, I, I didn't. I didn't see anything. I praise God for Trinity and how you all, how we as a church have given. God is blessed. I praise God for that. So this is not a rebuke. But the question is, do we love the Lord? Is our allegiance in the right place? When riches hold the dominion of our hearts and the spirit of God prompts us to give to his kingdom, the answer is no. When riches hold the dominion of our hearts, loving God and loving money are exclusive one of another. Loving God is to set aside our affection on things. Uh, Loving God is to set aside our affection on things on this earth. Loving money is to set our affections on things on the earth. Loving God is to desire things unseen and eternal. Loving money is to desire things seen and temporal. Loving God is to be careful for nothing. Loving money is to have all anxiety. Loving God is to be content with such things as we have. Loving money is to enlarge our desires as big as hell. Loving God is to be ready to give. Loving money is to hoard we each need to determine our allegiance. And every one of us do. We determine our allegiance. We, deserve, we determine what we love. That's a decision every single one of us has to make. And not just one time in our lives, but over and over and over again. Am I content with God? Do I believe that he is all that I need? Or do I look past him into the world and say, you know what? I am not content, God, with who you are, what you say, the parameters that you give, you're leading in my life, and I look out in the world and I see some people and they look like they're having fun, they look like they're successful, and I am going to go outside of your will, outside of your provision, and I am going to obtain for myself what I think will bring me joy and happiness. So we each have to make this choice, and before we answer Again, I, I ask the question who owns everything? Who owns everything? God does. When I was a little boy, my dad used to sing a song, and the words, some part of the words were, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I used to belt it out at the top of my lungs. The wealth in every land. God owns everything. Psalm 24 and verse 1 says, That everything belongs to God. He says it this way. The earth is the Lord's. (laughs) The earth. Everything. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Everything in the world belongs to God. And not only does God own everything, but he controls everything. In 1 Chronicles 29, in verse 11, the Bible says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Listen to this in verse 12. He says, Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. You see, God makes rich and God makes poor. Have you ever wondered, I wonder, I wonder how, why is it that he, why is it that that man or that woman has the ability to do that with money? I mean, I don't know how they do that. Why is it that they got to be wealthy? And I I didn't. Maybe you felt like that before. Careful of that 1% syndrome of covetousness. And idolatry, but the truth is, that person who may have more than you financially, or more than you in possessions, you also have possessions and wealth yourself that God has given to you. And God tells both of us the same thing: those who may be wealthier and those who may be poor, He says, "Where your treasure is, there is that's where your heart is." Don't lay up treasures on the earth, where moth and rust. Doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but 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 lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so if God owns everything and he controls everything, then God provides everything, and absolutely everything that we have is given to us by God. There is nothing that we possess, even the most mundane things of life that God has not allowed us, or, or God has given to us. We do not possess them. We are simply stewards of it. And it would make sense for us to be loyal to him and his kingdom. Look at verse 24. He says, no man can serve two masters. You can't serve materialism and you can't serve God at the same time. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And The word mammon means wealth or the getting of wealth. There's one last truth. We'll be done. Number one, have a proper treasury. Number two, have a proper vision. Number three, have a proper allegiance. Number four, have a proper confidence. Confidence. We will know that God is all that we need when we have a proper treasury, proper vision, proper allegiance, and proper confidence. And what Jesus is saying now in verses 25 and following is trust the Lord. Trust that God is going to provide. Maybe you've been buying some extra food. Maybe you've bought some food that lasts 25 years, guaranteed. That's okay. I have no problem with that. Maybe you've bought other things. You've, you've, you've looked at the landscape of the world and you've said, Ooh, this is not the same world that I grew up in 30 years ago or 50 years ago. Hmm. And, and there's anxiety maybe there's fear those things can be sin for sure but again i think there's wisdom in being prepared jesus speaks to this these men who he's going to going to tell them that they hated me they're going to hate you too all of these these apostles outside of john we believe were martyred put to death for their faith many of them in prison beaten or ridiculed, mocked, how should they prepare for that? Well, he, he speaks to them. He says, trust the Lord to provide for you. You see, not only the right treasury and, the, and vision and right allegiance is necessary, but also the right confidence. And this is built on who God is. And, and, and some of us live lives of anxiety. We're afraid. I think that's intentional, by the way. God doesn't want us to live in fear. Well, what if what if I lose this? What if I lose that? What what, how, what am I going to do? But willing to to keep this? How am I going to keep my stuff? And you do know that other believers in other parts of the world don't have hardly any of what we have, right? Americans, I think we are prone to materialism. And he's saying, I don't want you to worry. In fact, three times in these verses, Jesus restates that we're not to be anxious. We're not to be living in worry. Look at verse number 25, the beginning part. He says it this way. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. That's <laughs> easier to say than done. Take no thought for your life. Don't worry about your life. He's not saying don't think, uh, like, don't have thoughts. He's saying don't worry about your life. Look at verse number 31, the beginning part. He says, th- he says it this way. Therefore, take no thought. Look at the end of verse number 34, or the beginning of verse 34. He says this. Take, therefore, no thought for the morrow. Three times Jesus tells these people not to be anxious. And we get the clear impression that they were anxious. They were totally anxious. They were completely anxious. They were concerned. They were, what are we going to do about this? And what are we going to do about that? And I don't know. What if this happens? And what if that happens? And he says, don't be anxious for your physical life. And the context is, I want you to give. He's going to ask most of them to give their lives. Many of us. Maybe none of us will be asked to give our lives. Jesus Christ was asked to give his life. The apostles outside of John were asked to give their lives. And he's saying, I don't want you to be living in anxiety, continually worrying about your life, your physical life. I want you to give. And and now it's not a question of giving away what you need to live. It's the stockpiling mentality that says I'm amassing my fortune to cover all of my bases just in case. Can I ask you this? Do we do we really think it's possible to prepare for every possible just in case scenario? Can you afford that? Can you possibly have enough food? Can you possibly have enough ammunition I'm just asking. And I think we know the answer to that. And so what Jesus is saying is, trust the Lord. Trust God. Trust God. You see, the disciples were never going to be able to serve him and do his will if they weren't willing to trust him. Our Lord is saying, since heavenly treasure fully satisfies and sets the heart in a right place, and since generous giving brings mental and moral and spiritual vision and clarity Since allegiance to the Lord puts us under his loving authority and care, we can have confidence and not worry about our physical lives. Even the basic necessities of life are in God's control. And Jesus says, you shouldn't worry about your lives. Let me show you why. Look at verse 25. He says, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. This is so hard to understand because we're so caught up in making sure that we don't go without. And Jesus illustrates it in verse 26. The truth he's teaching in verse 25, he illustrates in verse 26, he says, Behold, look and see the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? God cares for you more than he does the birds, is what he says. I'm remembering that song, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And now this is not an excuse for idleness. This is not an excuse for laziness. Birds do their work. They just don't sit on the branch waiting for food to drop into their beak unless they're a baby bird. That's exactly what they do. But birds search, right? They, they gather insects and worms. They prepare their nests. They care for their young. They teach them to fly and pursue their own food. And so it is with man. We work. In fact, the scripture says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 in verse 10, for even when ye were we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. There were some within the Thessalonian church, and they were like, the Lord's going to return. There's no point in this working. And Paul said, if you're not willing to work, you shouldn't eat. OK, so so this is all balanced out, you know. Uh, so there's a work to do, but the provision and this is Jesus point. The provision is made by God. And so it's pretty silly not to have confidence in God because of who our father really is. He is the provider for our food. He gives another reason in verse 27. And that's he's a provider of our lives. Verse 27 He says, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? A cubit is basically 18 inches. It's about the span from the elbow to the tip of the fingers. And he's saying, which of you, by worrying, can add not height to your stature, but stature can also have the idea of length of life. Which of you, by worrying, can add to your lifespan? Can any of us add to our lives by worry? The answer is no. Um, much has been said about this. The Mayo Clinic says it affects worry affects circulation, the heart rate, the glands, the nervous system. End quote. Charles Mayo said this, quote, I have never known of a man to die of overwork, but many die of worry. End quote. You can worry yourself to death, but you will not add to your life. You will not add to your life. It is not of God for you and for me to be caught up in worry and anxiety. Well, what if this happens? What, what about that? What, what if the Chinese, what if? What are the Russians doing? Who's really right or wrong? You know, What are we going to do for food? What will I do in this circumstance? God has been caring for his people throughout all of human history. He owns it all. He gives more to some than he gives to other. He gives protection. Uh, he he provides food. He provides clothing. And, and even in America, the land of great wealth and prosperity and liberties for most of our history. It is not we who have obtained these things for ourselves. It is not we who have Arrayed ourselves so magnificently and so beautifully, so we can pat ourselves on the back and say, Wow, we are amazing people. It is God who has given, it is God who has provided, and it is God who feeds us, the provider of our food. Verse 25 and then verse 27 Jesus saying, He is the provider of your lives. He gave you life, and someday He will take that life away. He will choose when that will happen, and it is in God's hands. And nobody can take it without his giving the go-ahead. Verse 28, he tells us that he's a provider of our clothing. Look at verse 28. And why take ye thought for raiment? Why are you so worried about what you're wearing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon, wealthy, wealthy king, the wisest man that ever lived. People came to his kingdom. Other, other dignitaries came to his kingdom to be, to be impressed by his wealth. And Jesus says the best of his clothing cannot compare with the way God has arrayed the flowers. It can't compare. Trust God's wisdom. Trust his his design. Look at verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, uh, you, O ye of little faith? And then he finishes it out in verse 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. This is the way the unsaved world thinks. They, they, they live like there is no God. We have to provide for ourselves. We have to care for ourselves. There is no God. That's how they live. For your heavenly Father, the one who knows you and knows your needs intimately, your Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. So he says, what should we focus on? Verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. But what am what we going to do in this situation? What are we going to do in that situation? I don't know. I don't know what I'll do. But Jesus says, Christ says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek his righteousness first. And all these other things your heavenly father is going to add to you. You'll be provided for. You'll be cared for. God will take care of you just according to his plan. And it's not going to be determined by our worry or anxiety or fear or. It's not going to be we're not going to be better taken care of because we love the things of this world. That, That is not going to aid in our taking care of ourselves. Verse 34. Take, therefore, no thought for the morrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient under the day is the evil thereof. We're going to close with a hymn, and Pastor Tolman's going to come. Before, before he comes, I was reading, and I came across. There's a book actually about it. Some orphans during World War II, and and they were so con- they they couldn't sleep. They were so anxious. These young these little children were so anxious they couldn't sleep. And so to help them sleep. One of the people in charge at that particular orphanage found out that part of their anxiety was, um, you know, they had a meal today and they would try to steal food and they would try to hoard food. And of course, it would decay and and mold and some were getting sick because they were eating these things. And um, it wasn't best for them. And so somebody realized there's they've gone some of them days and even weeks without a meal. And they're afraid that the next day there's not going to be a meal. And so they would they decided, you know, we're going to give to each of these children struggling with this. We're going to give to them a piece of bread. And they're going to go to bed with a piece of bread and they would, and they would hold it. They would not eat it. They would hold it because it was it was security for them for the next day in their minds. Now they could rest because they knew they would have bread for tomorrow. You have the bread of life. He is all you need. He is all you need. And he is going to provide. And he's going to provide wisdom. He'll provide wisdom. You know, go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider ways and be wise. He provides wisdom. But not a materialism. Not one that worships material things. And lives in fear continually. So, I think that's a beautiful picture. Every night you don't have to hold a piece of bread and wonder where your meal is coming the next day, but you can hold fast to the bread of life, knowing that he is going to provide for you tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And not just for food, but in every way, in every way. Pastor Tom, would you come? we're going to sing